With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Weekside Podcast. I'm Jenny Brentis here with Connor Orr, and today is NFL Draft Day. It will be a NFL draft unlike any other. We have team personnel decision makers in their home offices with IT specialists parked in the driveway. We have (laughs) top prospects receiving kits, including 32 different hats so they can put the appropriate one on as well as hand sanitizer and reminders about CDC guidelines for social distancing. We have a draft a thon, uh, Bud Light encouraging fans to send in videos of booing so that they can virtually boo Roger Goodell to raise money for COVID-19 relief efforts. Uh, Very unusual times, Connor. The NFL is forging ahead with the draft, and here we are. You know what I was thinking about uh, the other day is that it wasn't too long ago that we were legitimately discussing the possibility of Joe Burrow pulling in Eli Manning and not wanting to play for the Bengals. And could you imagine staging the kind of, you know, everyone remembers that Eli standing up there miserable with the Chargers jersey on and stuff like that. Can you imagine what it would be like at home when there's no Wrangler there with you and you're free to express yourself in what whatever way possible, you know, and uh, that would have been really fascinating and a huge bullet dodged, I think, by the NFL. Wow, that is that feels like a lifetime ago when we were discussing Doesn't that. It? That was at the Combine right before the pandemic really settled in in the United States and everything changed. It would also be interesting to see, like, would somebody still pull off that kind of draft night coup with the current situation? You know, I've 
heard a lot from people saying they, they don't feel entirely comfortable with watching the draft and all of these celebrations, you know, when there's so many people in America who are unemployed, losing their jobs, uh, facing health challenges, losing loved ones. Uh, I, I talked to one agent, Demarius Bilbo, who represents several top picks, Chase Young, uh, Okuda, and he said his message to players was to be kind of subdued on draft night. You know, obviously it's a celebratory moment, but there's a lot of people in the country and the world right now who aren't celebrating and aren't able to celebrate. And so his advice was to be somewhat subdued and respectful. Now we'll see how that all plays out, right? You, you know, you get caught up in the moment and certainly this is something they've all worked hard for and deserve the right to celebrate. But it is interesting to try to strike the right tone um, during an uh, international health crisis uh, with an event like the draft taking place live. Yeah, I think the NFL uh, and its broadcast partners have to be super careful here, you know, and, and this was something that we've been talking about for weeks is just the concern, the optics, the same with free agency and guys signing multi-million dollar deals. And I don't know if necessarily they struck the right tone there. Now, I've heard from plenty of people who said that it was a release for them, that it was good, and, and maybe the draft is the same way and you just want some normal, but it's it's one of those things like at what cost and how how are we going to uh, make it come across? And I think that that's going to be a huge challenge for anyone that's doing this um, to kind of stick to the analysis, to um, but also make everybody realize that, like you know, there are far bigger and more important fights that were uh, are going on right now in the country, and and this is still an unprecedented time that we're living through. Yeah, and it was mentioned to me also that in these kits that these top prospects receive. I think it was 58 players uh, who who would could be televised or you know they they send them kits to broadcast from their own home. They included guidelines for I referenced earlier the social distancing CDC guidelines, but with the instruction that if you have a gathering that violates those guidelines, if you have more than you know, let's say you have 25 people huddled up on a couch that they may not show you because that would send the wrong message. Um, I'm not sure how that the process for how that's being enforced, but my understanding was there were instructions that the prospects received that make sure your shot is in compliance with all of the current rules in our country so that you can be shown on the broadcast. Wow. That's interesting. Uh, also, uh, how did everyone get 58 bottles of hand sanitizer? I haven't seen one in a month and a half. Like, I haven't seen a roll. Of well, I saw one uh, thing of toilet paper in a month and a half. I have not seen hand sanitizer. So actually, maybe here's a tip for you and some of our listeners. My mother said she has been stalking the Bath and Body Works website and that in the morning, sometimes the hand sanitizer comes available. So she actually, a couple weeks ago, saw it come available and place one order and you get like a, a bag of five hand sanitizer. It's all one flavor. So she sent me one and sent my sister one. Um, I think the flavor I got was like hibiscus something it's like bright nice. bright pink i mean you know maybe not but again any hand sanitizer was great and it was a nice gesture by my mom but my mother said she could only like you had to go early morning and um she said they they kind of cycled they seemed to be cycling back in stock because uh, she was able to after she ordered for me and my sister uh, another time she tried and was able to order one for her herself and my dad so uh i don't know maybe check it out connor sweet pea is another flavor that could be available so you know might be worth a look 
How about this for a game-changing segue? How about uh, Mandarin Orange for Joe Burrow in his uh, in his basket? Oh right? wow! So if everyone had to get team color themed hand sanitizer, that would be hard for some teams. Raiders. Yeah, Raiders would be. Although I guess you could just kind of give like a clear a gl- one or and just a say, glittery silver, yeah, glittery silver one. Yeah, but. Um, that reminds me of um, like in eighth grade um, at the dance uh, dances and stuff when that started to become a big deal. Oh, I love like, these stories. Go ahead, Connor. There was like the very aggressive um, chapstick flavors that the girls would start uh, bringing around, and like they had very not suggestive names, but like you know, you know what I'm saying. Like it was it was clear that like this chapstick means business, you know, kind of thing. You wow. Know? And so, you know, it reminds me of that, like, glittery silver hand sanitizer. Like, we we, we grew up in a really f- phenomenal time for fashion and accessories, you know, and you just can't forget any of that. Yeah, lip smackers were big when I was growing That's, up. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, yeah, interesting. But, yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot of mixed feelings surrounding the draft. Most people that I'm talking to, have a lot of these same mixed feelings, you know, and um, I think that's pretty common. I think people on teams, I think players, I think everyone's kind of experiencing a lot of those feelings around this event. So I was, I was comparing it to, it, it feels like we're kind of emptying our liquor cabinet in one night, you know, and it's, it, it's going to feel good in the moment. And then we're going to wake up with a giant hangover because, and you know, I hate to be the person that keeps saying this, but the NFL season is not starting on time. You know, it's not. And these players are not going to play for a very long time. And, you know, there are guys who have injury issues or haven't been able to get on teams radars or meet with people who are just going to get screwed over for no reason. And we could have had this draft in July or even the first week of August. And I think everything would have been totally fine. Yeah, I think that's a really great point, Connor. And like someone like Tua, which we've discussed you know, the if teams had a chance to examine him in person, perhaps it would be a very different draft night for him. Maybe it won't have that big of an impact, but there's the potential that it could. And so that's definitely a wild card for players that are coming off injuries. But all right, we've got a lot of lot to dive into. I'm happy to report to our listeners that Connor was back at the helm writing the topics this week. So they are the usual quality, not the subpar quality that I generated. So I'm oh, please. really excited to uh, let's I'll dive into the first one. All right. Topic number one, the Bengals have reportedly informed quarterback Joe Burrow that he will be the number one pick in tonight's NFL draft. What has been expected for a few months now will soon become official, leaving Cincinnati with their third high profile do over at the quarterback position since drafting Carson Palmer, number one overall in 2003. Does Burrow signal the beginning of a fortuitous run for the Bengals or simply more of the same? I tried to fit a cat pun in there, uh, but I, I guess so the Bengals commonly associated with cats, like yeah, yeah, big so, cats. Big cats are the the story of the day, right? Yeah. So could he? Uh, could it? Are they going to be a win meow team? Oh wow, Connor, that's really <laughs> good. Yeah, win meow. I think our former boss Peter King is really going to enjoy that one. Yes. Yes. Um. I. This is like, uh, it's interesting to me because I think that there's a lot of noise coming from people who are saying this is a bad year to draft a a rookie quarterback and you're almost going to punt on the season and all that stuff. And I think that's the wrong mindset going in. I mean, I think that you're in this position for a reason. But that said, if 
there isn't dramatic improvement uh, in year one with Burrow, I think that we could see some, you know, I, I don't know. The problem seemed to be Dalton for so long and everyone was blaming Dalton or Marvin Lewis. And now both of those are gone and we could be falling back into that same cyclical Bengals deal where they just kind of fire the coach, change the quarterback, fire the coach, change the quarterback. And you're hoping that they can find a little bit of uh, that stability, which was the one hallmark, the one nice thing about the Marvin Lewis era. Yeah. I mean, there were rumblings last year because the Dolphins were supposed to be the worst team in the league. And then it ended up being the Bengals. And were they satisfied with the Zach Taylor hire? Uh, They have rarely, you know, they, uh, they usually don't spend in free agency is what I'm trying to say. And they did a rare free agency spending spree this year to sort of, it seemed like, you know, get some reinforcements around Burrow, try to take this thing in a positive direction. But I agree with you, Connor. They're clearly looking to see some step forward. Now, if you're the worst team in the league last year, it's easier to make a step forward than, say, if you were higher up. I mean, you have you can't go down at all. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that it, it could be a important year for, for Zach Taylor. And I agree with you. I don't think it's fair to say it's a bad year to be drafting a quarterback because if you're looking for your guy for the next five to 10 years, then you're taking a long-term view. Like I, I saw some suggestions that it's a bad year for the chargers to be drafting a quarterback. And I didn't get that at all. I mean, they, they missed out on Deshaun Watson and Mahomes, despite, you know, some support for Watson drafting a quarterback in Watson a couple of years ago. So now's the time. And, you know, for the chargers, they have a bridge guy, Tyrod Taylor, the rookie doesn't have to play this year. Obviously the expectation with the Bengals is that Burrow will play this year. Um, But, you know, uh, you got to get like, I, I just, I, 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 you have to take a long-term view with these kinds of things in terms of getting the quarterback. The question is, will the coach be given that same long-term view? Yeah. And I, you know, every time any of this is put on, the onus is put on the players. Like, how is he going to memorize the playbook in time? How's he going to get all this down? It, it just amazes me that that's where the narrative starts. And that's where the conversation starts when it should be. How are these coaches getting creative? You know, how are these coaches taking what they know that Joe Burrow already knows and the research that they were supposed to be doing and applying it to a condensed offseason and the start of the regular season? You know, this is not a player's fault. A player runs the plays that are called, you know, and, and executes the scheme that is that is laid out for them. And so I think that we've seen coaches embrace difficult situations before and come out uh, on top. And I've see, I think we've seen coaches complain about their circumstances and, you know, and then kind of pass it off on the player for not being able to handle the moment. But I don't think that any of these quarterbacks should feel any sort of extra pressure this year. I think this is, this is a tough offseason to be a coach. I agree. This is abnormal. It's, uh, it's unprecedented, but at the same time, uh, you can't say that, oh, okay, well, um, uh, this is a bad year for a player because the player is not going to get caught up. That's your job. You know, I mean, that's, that's your responsibility. I also like Burrow's mindset. You know, he told Albert Breer in this week's Monday morning quarterback that a year ago, he would have never thought he was a top pick. You know, at that time, the consensus was to, uh, I thought that was refreshing honesty and refreshing humility and to acknowledge the fact that he did make major 
gains his senior season and certainly couldn't have predicted that Tua would have a season-ending injury. But I like that mindset that he's bringing into the league that like he hasn't already arrived and he's not necessarily the special number one pick that he had to really work for his senior year and he's not expecting to just immediately stumble into success in the NFL. It's kind of like the the Baker Mayfield we thought we were going to get, right? Like, yeah. uh, like there's like there's like a confidence, there's a brashness, there's a funness, but then there's like that underlying element of humility and self-realization. You know, it's good. It's fun. Yeah, the, the Bengals really got they got lucky and uh they're you know, all this conversations the last couple of weeks could the Dolphins make a play like we said all along yeah maybe they would want to but the Cincinnati would have to move out of that spot they'd have to be willing to move out of that spot and this year Burrow's the consensus top guy I agree um speaking of well I don't even know consensus there's no consensus on the top guy here. But anyway, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have lured Rob Gronkowski out of retirement, teaming the future Hall of Fame tight end with Tom Brady for one last run. Uh, tight end was not a weak spot for the Buccaneers. They spent a first-round pick at the position just a few years ago. Still, many are heralding this as another stepping stone on the path to a championship. Jenny, do you concur? Well... What could go wrong, Connor? Lots of stars <laughs> assembling on one team. Like, there's absolutely no way for this to go awry. Um, I will say, I, I do think there's a pretty good chance. Like, despite the fact that Gronkowski lost all that weight and whatever, I mean, I think there's a pretty good chance he's comes back and is pretty good this year. Like, it was one year off. He let his body refresh. Um, so, I, it's interesting. Uh I could see why New England fans seem to take this almost harder than Brady because it wasn't like, okay, Brady's ready for a fresh start. It's like Gronkowski saying, I was retired if I had to stay with New England, but now that I have an opportunity to go somewhere else, I am no longer retired. It was interesting to me that Gronkowski, remember, had that sort of media blitz immediately upon retirement because he started working with the CBD company, CBD oil company. And there were some pretty revelatory things about his personal health that came out during that time. Um, you know, he went months without sleeping. You know, he was, after they won the Super Bowl, sat up all night crying and he didn't understand why. And, you know, uh, to me, that's like, it's a, that's a quick turnaround, you know, just to take a season off and then say, okay, I'm ready to jump back into it, you know, and you never want to criticize somebody's personal choice, but it's interesting that like, we're already here, you know, where he's back and yes, he's only 31 and he's got time, but the, there seemed to be a, a really big emphasis on the toll that the game took on his body right after he retired uh, to all of a sudden bring this back now and just uh, say that everything is fine and that you feel safe and healthy playing the game. That's interesting, Connor. That's a good point. Some of the comments that he made were pretty striking and jarring and sad and a reminder of the great burden that the, the game takes. Uh, I think it's probably true just based on his comments. Not only is he in a better physical place, but he's probably in a better place in terms of mental health, too. And so that break seems to have helped him in both fronts. And um, But yeah, I mean, I definitely... As, as far as if this automatically makes the Buccaneers a contender, like I'm definitely intrigued to see what happens, but there's no way of knowing for sure. Right. Um, and 
I, I'm, I'm in theory, right? It's it makes sense. Uh, but this is what we do this time of year. Like last year, I was thinking, oh, Odell Beckham with a stretch the field quarterback and a secondary target uh, like uh, Jarvis Landry to take defenders away from him. This is a no brainer. Uh, but when these super teams start to formulate, it's like almost like we we forget how easily things can just come crashing down and we assume that everybody's going to perform optimally and everything's going to work and I don't know I I just uh, I, I don't yes in theory having Chris Godwin and Mike Evans to take defenders away from Gronkowski and to give Brady that familiarity seems great but I don't know I mean we don't know how much weight he's going to be able to gain back is he going to be as effective of a blocker as he was in New England which was a huge part of his game uh, I don't know you know, and uh, I think it's okay to just be like, hey, you know, maybe it'll work out and maybe it won't. Yeah. And if you were to say that the Buccaneers are automatically going to have instant success, then you would essentially also be saying that the Patriots organization and the system and the culture and Bill Belichick don't have that big of an impact that you can just take Brady and Gronkowski out of that environment and put someone put them elsewhere and they can be just as successful, which I don't think is a fair projection to make either. So that's why I'm reserved in my expectation for the Buccaneers this year. I think it's interesting that uh, Jason Light has done some good things in Tampa, um, you know, and perhaps, you know, there's always a business element to some of these things. But, you know, for someone who has in the past, you know, spent a second round pick on a kicker uh, who's no longer there and, you know, has, has missed on some other guys and now is assembling this thing. I mean, Boy, that's a big risk. And I guess, you know, there's what Bruce Arians always says, there's no risk it, no biscuit, right? But at the same time, it's like, wow, I mean, he's had the leeway to make some pretty significant roster decisions and leaning in this direction um, when the rest of the division is still really good and, you know, you're making a lot of sacrifices for for building around Tom Brady. It's like, wow, I mean, this is you're going all in here. Yeah, maybe they'll trade up for a tackle too. So, I mean, there's just a lot of... uh... They're definitely going all in, Connor. That's definitely what's going on in Tampa. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans. The chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Speaking of teams who might need another piece to go all in, based on the frequency of Trent Williams reports this week, it seems as if the Washington football team may finally be willing to deal the seven-time Pro Bowl left tackle. With a deep tackle class on tap, how might Williams' availability impact the top ten? I think uh, it seems like, basically with all the dust being kicked up at this point, that it wouldn't be this way if Washington wasn't finally ready to just move on. Right. And, you know, Washington could probably recoup enough capital to get his replacement in the draft at some point too. Um, if they can get a first round pick from him, um, and maybe teams with multiple first round picks that need tackles would view Williams as an upgrade there. So I think it makes a lot of sense right now. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Uh, friend of the pod Mike Garofolo who's getting a shout out for the second show in a row so like Jeez. we got to keep an eye on this so that his head doesn't get too big but he had yes. an interesting part of the reporting on the Trent Williams situation saying that the Redskins closed the window for Williams and his agent to work out a trade meaning that the player and the agent can no longer negotiate for the trade that that's up to the team so it's totally in the team's control as they enter the draft um, and uh, they don't want other other conversations going on that they don't know about. So yes, it just all arrows seem to be pointing, and it needs to come to a resolution because um, you know they've got to make the move now. This is now is the time, and they would know at this point if there was any way for him to continue with the team. And it's, they've given it long enough to try to make that work, and I think they've got to just get something back for him now. Yeah. No, I agree. And it'll be interesting, for example, um, I think you mentioned this last week, but you know, if the, if the Browns were a team that were to come up um, and, and get Trent Williams, all of a sudden, you've not only um, fixed your biggest problem, but turned your offensive line into one of the better units in the league overnight, you know, and, and how does that impact everything with a new coach and um, some new weapons on offense and everything like that. So I don't know, I think that Trent Williams could be may- maybe one of the biggest day one game changers that we see uh, alter hands at the draft. 
Yeah, and as you mentioned, there really is a deep tackle class. There, you know, but there's also a lot of teams in the top 14 that need tackle. So that's the other part of that equation is that um, there are, I mean, going through the, the top 14, you, there are so many teams that you're like, okay, like Dolphins and Chargers, maybe they'll take a quarterback, but if they don't take a quarterback, they'll take a tackle. And you're going through, you're like, well, maybe the maybe the Panthers would take a tackle. The the uh, Cardinals could take a tackle. The Jaguars could take a tackle. I mean, there's so many teams that you wouldn't necessarily put them down immediately for a tackle, but maybe they could take one. Um, they, they have a bunch of needs, but tackle is a high one. So there is like a lot of, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is even with a deep tackle class, there is still certainly a market, uh, for a top left tackle like Trent Williams. Whereas I believe some other positions, which we'll get to, um, a little bit later, well, in the next topic, actually, some other positions, there seems to just be a surplus on the market and just not a very active trade market or free agency market at other positions, Connor. Definitely. And that position, one of them being edge rusher and Yannick Ngakwe and Tony Khan, who is the Jaguars director of analytics and uh, one of the owners, along with his father of the Jacksonville Jaguars, they got into a minor Twitter spat this week. I'll call it that because it was sort of like aggression and then on on Tony's end, like a business-like deflection, you know, like aggression, business-like deflection, and so on. So I don't I don't really know how to categorize that. <laughs> Spat seems seems like the best word, but um, basically Yannick Ngakwe is saying trade me. Tony Khan is saying show me the compensation, and uh, it it went on and on and on from there. Uh, is there a trade to be had there? Do we think? A, and B, um, what other big veteran names uh, do you think might be available uh, this weekend? Yeah, and I thought Tony Khan's other point was like, you're torpedoing your own value was somewhat valid, right? Because (laughs) the only reason it's dragged on this long is the Jaguars, if they're going to trade him, want to get some decent compensation for him. The problem, I think, with the market is what he wants in a long-term deal, because the the numbers for pass rushers in this year's free agent class, the, the numbers that Fowler and Quinn were getting are not what Ngakwe was asking for because he wants in the 19 million range, right? At mm-hmm. least that's what's been reported. And I don't think he's going to be able to get that. So I think that also hurts the trade market because are you giving up a premium pick for a player that you're not going to be able to then keep long term? And there's other, you know, there's like the clowny situation is still not resolved. So it's been interesting to see that that the edge rusher market, whether via trade or free agent, has not been what I think players hoped it would be. Yeah. And not only do you have, like you mentioned, I mean, Clowney is available. There's been reports that D Ford uh, could be had uh, via trade. Uh, The Ravens, there was that immediate possibility of a tag and trade uh, with Matthew Judon um, immediately after the franchise tag deadline. Like there's a lot of good players out there that you could have if you want. And they all seem to kind of be lumped into a similar uh, with the exception of Clowney, where it's like they they kind of waited until the end of their rookie deal to really break out and establish yourself as a good player, and teams are probably like, eh, you know, uh, what am I getting here? And am I better off just drafting it? And it, it's it's not a stellar edge rushing class, at least it's not supposed to be. But I think that if you're a team, you're probably willing to take that chance based on the cost because the the premium is so high. Yeah, another name, of course, as we're talking about the potential for trades is 
there was their Odell report that we addressed a week ago. And Mark Malusis of WFAN has stood by the report. And I, I, I respect that because it's a lot. Uh, teams deny stuff all the time. And then it happens. Like a year ago, Dave Gettleman said we didn't sign Odell to trade him. And then they traded him. So, I mean, the Browns seem to go out of their way to deny that both on the record and then off the record after denying it on the record. Um, but I don't think that necessarily means anything. They could just say, well, something came up and we decided to make a move on it. Yeah, that would be fascinating. Um, another uh, names, I mean, Leonard Fournette is an obvious one. The The Jaguars want to just get rid of him. Um, you know, Joe Thune would be kind of interesting in New England where, mm-hmm. you know, I think they only have a million dollars in cap space left. And uh, that's a team that could probably work their way around a top guard, whereas other teams guard in particular, even though there's tackle versatility in this draft, it does not seem to be as robust a position if a team um, needs some help there. So I don't know. I think uh, those could be some, uh, some interesting names. I mean, OJ Howard, obviously Mm -hmm. now becomes uh, a tradable uh, player and, even though there seems to be some momentum building for Andy Dalton to remain in Cincinnati and back up Joe Burrow and be the mentor there, I wouldn't put it past uh, New England at some point in the middle of the draft to give the Bengals a call and and, and to go get him. Yeah, I, I think there will still be a lot of trades this year. I just think the difference might may be that some of these trades, the groundwork is laid a little earlier than would normally be the case, right? There's always reports this time of year, like, I've gotten calls for my pick, but there do seem to be, like, maybe a few more of those this year. Um, I I just think that I have a feeling that teams are laying the groundwork earlier, because I, I, you know, doing my mock draft a couple weeks back, I got feedback that there had been you know, inquiries about certain things. And again, that's normal uh, to inquire about moving up or moving down. But I just, I think because of the concerns with the logistics on draft night, I think that teams are probably starting that process a little bit earlier than they would normally have. Do you think that there's more of an attraction to a veteran player this year just based on, you know, I know we said at the top of the show that, you know, quarterback aside, you know, you shouldn't be afraid to draft a quarterback given the circumstances. Mm -hmm. But if you're a win now team, is there more of an attraction for talent that you already know what you're getting uh, just because of the condensed offseason? That's interesting. That could be the case. Um but, you, you know, you still have to assimilate them into your system or whatever. Um, another interesting note by another friend of the podcast, Jonathan Jones, who's not CBS Sports, was saying that he thought a lot of trades would involve uh, compensation of, with this year's picks rather than in future years because it's hard to compare the value of a pick in a strange year versus a future year. And also we have no idea – at this point, what the 2021 draft will look like and will there be a college football season? And so he thought that the draft trades may center on this year's picks, which is at least more of a known value, which I thought that was interesting. That's another thing to keep in mind. That is interesting. And it sort of bucks the analytic trend. Like I've talked to some people who've worked in front offices before. And one of the things that they were so surprised about was the, the way that they were able to accumulate picks 
on the current draft day for the year ahead and like at the the higher rate of return that they get back um, just by waiting a year and being patient and you know they they were somebody had said that they described that as stealing money at one point you know or or like having a mortgage with uh, but that one that pays you instead of you having to pay the mortgage or whatever but it's interesting that the strategy would definitely change there definitely a good note by fop jonathan jones fop friend of friend of pod friend of really everything friend just good friend just friend Friend. yeah we don't need any qualifiers there (laughs) all right last topic we are getting a live look at many gm head coach home offices this week ahead of the nfl draft the lions will stash an it person in a winnebago outside gm bob quinn's house ravens gm eric DaCosta is drafting with a copy of machiavelli's the prince on his desk i missed that one connor good eye tom telesco is a series of laptops spread out on a tastefully decorated dining room table what are your GM home draft setup power rankings as of right now? And how would your own setup compare? Ooh. Um, well, I I thought Brett Veach had kind of a power move where he had the uh, can we run Wasp behind him. Yes. And then he also had an SI cover with the future issue with Patrick Mahomes on it. I believe that both of those were in his office at the chief's facility and he brought them to his home. This is my belief. So I think he put a lot of effort into like, you know, Hey, listen, you just want a super bowl. You drafted Mahomes. I think it's a great reminder on screen being like, Hey, I'm the guy that drafted that guy. I like the flex. Um, so I would put him at the top of my power rankings. Also, you're being humble that uh, Chiefs cover included, uh, that was your uh, cover story, wonderful story about Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes in the future of football, which everyone uh, should go back and read um, if you're interested in Brett Veach or you know, anything, Andy Reid about how all this uh, got started before the Super Bowl even started. But um, I would say that I am starting to sneakily believe what Brandon Bean said about Dave Gettleman, that he is like... Uh, I don't know, like committing like this all time subterfuge move on all of us and convincing us all that he's this dope. And that folds into the photos that were released of his home office setup, which was just like him in a in a finished basement with one picture behind him in a giant like dictionary sized book. And like I'm starting to go from like this guy is shouldn't be in this job anymore to this guy is brilliant and I want him running my team. They're definitely leaning in on the jokes when it comes to Gettleman. Just like we've said, you know, Belichick leans in on the tech jokes. They're definitely that that binder was definitely them leaning in. Also similar to how Goodell is leaning in on the booze or or whatever the case may be. Um one thing I did was it being that also said about Gettleman that like he's very secretive, which I would dispute because he definitely se- telegraphed the Saquon Barkley pick. There was more <laughs> yeah. mystery around the Daniel Jones pick, but the Saquon Barkley pick was telegraphed. I remember sitting at that pre-draft press conference and leaving and being like, oh, they're definitely drafting Barkley. And then if they end up drafting a tackle, he telegraphed that as well because he said we went into free agency keeping in mind who we could get in the draft. Now, again, I'm not saying that that's if they don't draft a tackle, then that comment was meaningless. But if they do, then it's like, okay, you know, there's a little. Um, Another setup that I thought was notable was Rick Spielman, who had a fax machine. Always enjoyed Mm. the placement of the fax machine. Yeah, you don't see much of that anymore. Really, you haven't heard about the fax machine in the NFL since the ill-fated Elvis Dumerville 
um, Broncos-Ravens uh, thing. That's right. right. That was, yeah, that's kind of the last time we heard of a fax issue. I remember hearing at one point that Belichick was one of the last people to still do things via fax. I don't know if he thought it was like more mature or more secure, excuse me, or if there was some kind of reason. But I remember like a couple of years ago, someone said, no, he he's still, I, I, I think he has, do, ha, since has moved away from the fax machine. But my understanding was he was using a fax machine uh, longer than that. you might expect. Um, one that I was like, a couple of these like setups, I mean, we're just, we're, we're getting in like, Okay, like the John Schneider knocking down walls in the house, like I, that was baffling to me. The Winnebago was was also like kind of like, hey, we're like super prepared. Felt a little bit like showy. Um, just confused about the wall knocking down and why that was necessary in John Schneider's home. It feels like you know, maybe they're just uh, they're preparing to create an open concept anyway, and the draft was a nice <laughs> way of. Um, combining their dining and living space. Because that's, you know, as we've talked about in the pod before, that's what people want now. They want combined dining and living. You want to be able to see, uh, you you want to cook for your guests, but you want to see your guests, you know. So, hey, which, listen, uh, you know, th- that's that's your call. Um, I, I'm a fan of a little bit of a closed off space. I like there to be a little bit of mystery if I'm going to have some guests over and I'm going to do a big reveal of what I'm making for dinner, you know, like... Last time I had a really good dinner party, there was a definite wow factor um, associated with the lobster mac and cheese that I made. And wow. you know, I don't want that just sitting out there for people to know is coming as soon as they walk in the door. You know, I want them to be hit with that at dinner, and I want that to be part of the ambiance. You know, I like these things that you just slip in. You know, that you made ma- lobster mac and cheese from scratch at home. It's a, you know, it's a great factoid. Big, uh, a lot of mistakes made in that one too, and it's a high pressure dish, obviously, because you know lobster um, is is not a cheap ingredient. Um, but it was New Year's, so I figured, you know, why not? We'll splurge. We had some good friends over, but um, to to not be intimidated by the amount of uh, liquid um, in in the before you put it into the oven right uh, i was like oh my god there's way too much sauce this is going to just be drowning i was following the ina garden recipe from barefoot contessa and so i ended up draining a lot of it out which uh deprived the mac and cheese of its um, necessary creaminess so oh interesting okay so this is really great because our listeners are not only getting a draft preview but they're getting a cook which everyone can use right now <laughs> everyone can use at home cooking tips like we are really um a utilitarian podcast here, Connor. I like to think so. I like to think so. Um, okay, so that doesn't dovetail at all into my oracle, but it connects to a previous topic that we had there, which is that my prediction, uh, and this is going to be a bit of a slow burner here, but I think O.J. Howard is going to be dealt this weekend, and I think he's going to have his best season wherever he lands. And I was surprised that he was not initially just involved in the New England deal. I mean, they could Mm -hmm. always use a tight end, but there's a couple of really good teams that need tight end help desperately, and I think that he could come in and be a gigantic addition to a contending team right away. I love that Connor because it's been he's been somewhat of a mystery because he seemingly every year should be, you know, I think I'm probably have picked him on multiple occasions to like be a breakout fantasy guy and it just never worked. I think a change of scenery, I love that. I think that's a great oracle Connor and one that 
you know, um, in terms of the production, we may not find out the answer to for like 18 months if there is no 2020 NFL season. So there's going to be a long wait to see if that Oracle comes true. A huge bonus for me there. Yeah. <laughs> I love, by the way, we d- briefly discussed this Rentis consensus, and I think this is as close to a universal consensus that we've ever had on this podcast. I, if somebody disagrees with me, I would be, or you, I would be totally stunned. Connor, this is exactly why I included it in the show, because I am curious if there is even one person that does not agree that the Chargers uniform reveal was the best we've ever seen. I mean, every iteration, even even the navy blue with the like hollowed out bolts were kind of cool. Like obviously the powder blue are the they're the star here and the white was great and the different combinations and the numbers on the helmet and how the face mask and the color of the numbers can change. I mean it just was perfect. Every part of it was perfect. Yeah, is it weird that the navy was my favorite? I mean, I kind of thought it was I it was one of my favorites too. I I still have to go with the powder blue, but I think I would put the navy second. I love numbers on helmets. I think it's like such a great aesthetic if you can pull it off. Um, it's it's so classic. Uh, I think they're the only team in the league, right, that are going to have the numbers on their helmets, right? I don't think any other team has numbers on their helmets. Yeah, I don't think so either. Not that I can think of. Although I will say that on last week's show, we didn't we completely forgot that there were several other uniform reveals this week. So <laughs> we should probably check that out because the Patriots also did a uniform reveal, which I thought was fine. Um, but really, the Chargers just they they stole the show and I really would like people to reach out to us because I would like to know I I actually clicked on one of those Twitter polls I think pro football talk did a Twitter poll do you like the Chargers uniforms yes or no and there was like 15 percent that said they did not like them and I'm like who are these people and are they just trolls are they just like Raiders and Chiefs and Broncos fans yes I I think that's the easy answer there I mean that was the rare thing where you know and kudos to the Chargers who did a nice job of uh, selectively leaking the uniforms to some high-profile NFL media types. And so throughout the week, we were saying, oh my God, I saw the uniforms and they're amazing. And and this is one of those rare times that it actually lived up to the hype there because I was ready to hate it just because, you know, they didn't send one to me first. So, you know. I, I agree, Connor. And I was also skeptical of the hype. I was like, oh boy, this is, you know, this is going to be overblown. But it wasn't. And it was just like a really nice thing that we could all be happy about out on a what day was that Tuesday morning I believe yeah Tuesday morning during this weird process it was like everyone enjoyed the Chargers uniform reveal nice win for the Chargers definitely nice win for the Chargers nice consensus for us as we roll into the draft um, and you know hopefully everyone enjoys and uh, you know hopefully your team gets all the good guys yeah look forward to breaking it down next week the MMQB Weekside Podcast is me, Jenny Rentis, and Connor Orr. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Ben Eagle is director of editorial projects and product. Mark Moravik is emeritus executive director of the MMQB. Keep up with our entire lineup of podcasts five days a week by subscribing to the MMQB NFL Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, please do us a favor and leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat.
Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.